You guys can grab your seats. How many of you guys have been invited to a banquet, fundraiser banquet? Anybody? It's like this moment when you get to an age, people start thinking you may, just may have money, and then they start inviting you to things, and, uh, and then I'm like, the joke's on you, sorry. <laughs> and so when I get invited to uh, banquets, it's usually I, like, I take on the personal job of like, trying to make the night enjoyable for others. Like I'm super attentive to the onstage like, presenters, you know what I mean? Because I'm not I don't have much else to offer, right? Um, and so my wife and I, we got invited to one a couple of weeks ago, and it was amazing. It was probably one of the, the best um, fundraisers. Sorry, Rachel, my wife is a fundraiser as well. It was just, it was, I mean, it was glitzy, okay? And it was beautiful meal. It was delicious, and oh, man. And so I was there, and I had made a little extra money uh, last month doing some art. And so I, I showed up to this fundraiser, unusually with a little bit of cash in my hand, and it was a foreign feeling to me because typically I'll, I'll, I'll go through the thing and then I'll, I'll sit through the really embarrassing bit at the end where everybody else is filling out the cards, and you're like, oh yeah, fill it out. Check, pray, we'll pray for you, seal it up. Um, but we were there, and, and we walked in, and this person right away came up to me and said, would you like to buy a raffle ticket to go to Hawaii? We're only um, selling 300 raffle tickets. And I said, huh, so chances are decent. And so I, I looked at Rachel, and, and then they were going around the tables, and then one of the people that they were raising funds for came up, and so I started talking to her about, like, what is the best part about this organization? How has it blessed you? All those things, and I was sold. This girl was incredible. And so I ended up getting a, getting a ticket, and, and with the ticket, I didn't know this, but with the ticket, they actually had these rubber rings, uh, that if you smacked it, it would like, it would flash. And at that moment, I realized that when I spent as much money as I did on Rachel's engagement ring all those eons ago, like this was the shiniest ring I've ever seen, but it probably cost like a dollar. Um, only in this case, it came with the purchase so that not only do you get a chance to win, but you also get a little bling for the night. You know what I'm saying? So you can like walk around, you're like looking at the different booths. You're, you have the, the silent auctions and, and you walk up next to somebody and they're like dressed really nice. You're like, mm, that's right. Mm -hmm. And so not only that, but none of you guys know what I'm talking about. It's cool. Not only that, as we're walking around for the silent auctions, there's like this $6,000 necklace that you can win, and they're going to raffle it off too. And it was a really cheap ticket, so I was like, yeah, babe, I'll get you one of those. And you know what came with that? Mardi Gras beads. Oh, yeah, so I wore Mardi Gras beads the rest of the night, just so everybody knew that I was generous and uh, very uh, philanthropic. I think that's the right way to say it. As, as I was sitting there enjoying this night, as I was sitting there enjoying this night, and they're doing the drawing, and I'm like telling Rachel, like, hey, make your ring flash. Make your ring flash. It's right during the, the drawing for this thing. Part of me was like, God, you see me. You, you, you know my suffering. Hawaii would be so nice. And I really had a hunch. I was like, well, you know what? I, this would be just like the Lord to get, give me this prize, right? Listen, this is where the story ends. I didn't win. <laughs> But it's a good introduction to our topic tonight, which is all about motivations behind why we do what we do with what we have. 
We all in the Northwest and in our lives have different resources that God has entrusted to us. And our default mechanism in our mind is to look at all that we have and go like, all right, if you're like me, you're trying to maximize your budget to maximize your enjoyment in life. And that is, un, that is not uncommon. That's a human experience. But what Jesus drops us into in the middle of his Sermon on the Mount is this discussion about how do we utilize the tangible things we have in this life to actually impact not only our relationship with God, but our eternal rewards in heaven. And so when we look at this passage, I think it's important for us to just pause and go like, man, this is yet another place where God has kind of carved out and invited us to be intentional, to sow seeds. Now, please do not take that to mean like uh, uh, the, the whole like health, wealth, prosperity, like sow your seeds. That's not what Jesus is talking about. But in fact, it's opportunities for us to intentionally weave into our life places of worship to God. Moments where we can offer to Jesus our heart and remind ourselves and to declare to Him that He is the place where our heart belongs. Jesus, don't forget, ends this little section of Scripture with the idea of saying, listen, store up for yourself treasures in heaven where it will be untouchable. And not only that, where your treasure is, your heart will follow. And more and more in my life, I want my heart to be more oriented, not in my 401k, but in my eternal inheritance. What will my eternity be like? And how can I transfer my affection from the momentary joys of this world to to making my heart actually long to be with Jesus? Because that will change the way I view my life. And that will create a hunger and a longing that I want to feed into. So that when I say, God, I love you with all that I am. It's not a hollow statement. It is, God, you are where my treasure is. So I think there's a tool there for us. For us to be practical about allowing our heart to migrate towards God instead of this world. Does that make sense? Let's pray and then we'll get into scripture. All right, Father, we thank you that you care that we would encounter you in the deepest sense possible, not only here and now, but that our eternity, Lord God, would echo with the faithfulness and sacrifices of our here and now. God, we love you. We thank you that you're here with us. We ask you to bless us. We invite your spirit, Lord God, to um, arrange our affections. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, turn your Bibles. Matthew chapter 6. This is chapter 2 of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, one of the most powerful statements in all of Scripture. The essence of what Jesus is saying has the power to transform our lives. We have to recognize that oftentimes we have motivations behind what we do. We try and signal It is inevitable that we will do this, not only in the world, but in the church as well. Do you guys remember back when uh, people or businesses would advertise in the the little penny ad? You know what I'm saying? I don't know if that's the real name. That's what my mom called it. It was this paper thing that you would open and people would post their jobs, kind of like Craigslist, um, only it was paper. Is that that fitting, Ben? Does that check out? No. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Only sometimes, 
only sometimes to gain a little bit more credibility, some people would post a little Jesus fish next to their business name. You remember that? Some of you are brave enough to have a Jesus fish on your, on your car. Um, I've kind of thought about putting the, the Sparrow City sticker on my car, but then I, I know that my driving skills or uh, my hurried, hurriedness may not really justify that or my kids driving the cars. So I'm, I'm on the fence about that one. How about carrying the big Bible to church? You know what I'm saying? Like, right? You know what I'm saying? Bigger the better. Uh, now it's like the more tattered, the better. Uh, my, I have another Bible that uh, I love. I, I usually use a, a Bible for about a year, and uh, I'll take it kayaking typically because that's one of my special places, special places, one of my favorite places to be with Jesus. Um, and I'll just lay it on my, on my kayak. And then I remember a couple years ago or a few years ago, I was in Corvallis where we used to live, and uh, I got caught in, in this rip or this this current in the river and it was supposed to be really docile and, and, and slow um, but there was this tree that was kind of going over the water and I was like oh, oh, oh shoot I'm going under the okay I'm going under the tree and so I did one of these laybacks uh, and then my Bible went into the water but you know what all things work to the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose when I dried that out it looked so tattered. It looked like I'd been like studying scripture for years. I'm like, people are like, wow, your Bible looks torn up. And then the old guy's like, yeah, you, you'll notice that people with torn up Bibles don't have lives that look that way, right? <laughs> um, anyways, or Christian t-shirts uh, or soup kitchen selfies. We have this element where we like to signal what's going on within us. We want others to see and perceive and think about us in a certain way. And that is part of reality. Now we're seeing this broad scale too, not only in individuals, but churches. You'll see churches who are signaling to different demographics, whether they'll have a flag flying on their church sign or you'll even see this within the secular world, businesses, they'll post that um, one thing or another to try and help people to know what kind of people they are. Or you'll have the Bible churches that are all about the truth and it doesn't matter how we contextualize. You'll have the culturally uh, relevant churches that you kind of wonder where they stand. The world is like this as well. I mean, when you go and donate blood, they give you stickers. I donated blood today. If you vote, I voted today. Uh, the idea of even a mask in the last couple of years became that symbol. Are you going to not wear the mask at all, or are you going to wear it while you drive alone in a car? These two different things said two different messages. So there's the idea that we are always signaling, and we have to become aware of it. We have to become aware of it, because the world doesn't want or care to deal with people who are inauthentic, that you're projecting something that truly isn't there. And so for us, when Jesus comes and he opens his mouth in, in our presence through his words, he is trying to cultivate a new community of people. A community of people who uh, take off the blinders and willingly walk out authenticity, which means we are the same in public as in private that what we say lines up with what we do. And this is incredibly difficult. And apart from the Spirit of God who transforms us from the inside, impossible. And so as we walk through this, we're inviting 
this life-giving word of Jesus, who in verse 1 of 6, which we started talking about last week, says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. He goes on in verse 2, Thus when you give to the needy. This idea of give to the needy has been translated in different ways. Uh, almsgiving or charity is uh, a different ways that have been kind of discussed. Martin Luther gives a really beautiful interpretation of what Jesus is saying here. Uh, he d- describes charity as helping the poor and the needy. It includes not just giving a piece of bread to the beggar at the door, but all sorts of kind deeds and good works done to a neighbor. Simply put, charity, as we'll call it, is any good deed intended to serve others. Any good deed. Now, in the day of Jesus, there was no shortage of opportunity for people to have opportunity to share good deeds, to actually engage with those in need. In the time of Jesus, there was great poverty around. There was tons of subsistence living in Palestine in the first century. There was no government assistance that was set up. It was built upon the community to actually take care of those people who were in need. Even in Scripture, we see that there is rules around when you harvest a field, you weren't intended to harvest all the way to the corners. That the corners were actually to be left to those who were less privileged to be able to come and pluck so that they would survive. So this idea of being charitable is baked into the way things are intended to be. Even in the time of Jesus, being charitable wasn't an add-on. It was part of the essence of what it looked like to be someone seen as walking in righteousness. So, when we think about this idea of being a charitable people, this is not an add-on. This is supposed to be something that those who have origins of new life in the kingdom, it becomes like a, a, a main fork of expressing our good standing with God. It becomes how we interact with those in need around us. So Jesus is trying to recultivate the norm of generosity. That's why he says, thus when you give to the needy, not if you give to the needy. He's assuming there is a regular frequency of us giving and being prepared to give. And for us, we need to start brainstorming ideas of going, how do I weave a normal rhythm of incidental giving that I'm ready when needs arise? And I know that that's not possible for everybody. I know that oftentimes with uh, with our drive to have, we end up overextending ourselves. There's no room for the incidental needs of ourselves, let alone somebody else. You see, as the kingdom of God, we need to be starting to work ways and, and habits and even budgeting to make room to be a people of generosity. Not merely in our community, sharing of tithes and offerings, not only that, but being prepared when God presents something in front of us. Now, there is no shortage. Yes, we have a society that has a a, a government assistance that's built within, but there is no shortage of those in our society or opportunities to show need. I think there's probably more of a shortage of transparency 
that we're so independent, so proud that we don't want to share our needs with others. I'll speak for myself. That's me. (laughs) And so there's a hesitancy. And so we need to kind of open our eyes and expand our perspective of what needs are even around us. In Martin Luther's uh, description of what charity is, he covers uh, four different kinds of people, the poor, the needy, the beggar, and the neighbor. I think poor in our mind, we need to start thinking, okay, who in my life is poor? And I would describe poor as they're barely scraping by. God, help me to start having an eye for those people who are barely scraping by. The needy are those who uh, need help because if they continue in the same path, they're not going to make it. They're scrounging month after month. Or the beggars, at this point, there's no more room for pride. They're not hiding. They they have nowhere to hide. They are not going to make it unless they speak up. There's no shortage of these folks around us. Jesus tries to cultivate this understanding, and we are a generous community. And I want to say thank you. Thank you for your regular, consistent offering of giving to the work of Jesus. Thank you for coming alongside of each other and supporting those incidental needs. You do so wonderful at this, and yet Jesus tries to stir us to the way of the kingdom, which is a thoughtful, careful charity. He says, when you give, not if you give. And so when we think about this, when when some of you give, because in your contending community, here's a few examples. When someone in your contending community has a car issue, you provide that service. Or when somebody needs help moving and you show up, this is when you give. Or when you offer dignity to somebody who is humiliated in a circumstance. When you show up and you notice that somebody in your uh, surrounding world at your workplace feels out of place and instead of continuing to just walk by, you pull them in. See, these are all ways and circumstances where you give. And more and more, I want us to become a people when we hear needs to not merely either go exported for somebody else or I have to solve it all. We're intended to be charitable together. Seeing needs, sharing needs, talking about what we see as pockets, and positing, Holy Spirit, are you at work here? Do I have the resources to be able to support this need, or am I intended to simply pray? All of these things are times and occasions when we give. Jesus calls attention to these things, because a very good thing can go sideways very easily when my human emotion gets involved, or when my agenda to try and use good works to make myself somehow gain from it. As a community, there are things in our world that I want us to grow in awareness because there are circumstances in our own city. I read an article a couple weeks back about the, the shortage of foster homes in Vancouver, where there's 400 babies who have been born in the last year or so, who are homeless, so to speak, because there's a gap in the foster care system. Because during COVID, a lot of people shifted in what they were willing to do and interact with, and so there's this gap in Clark County. So when we engage with this, when, we must be careful. 
when we engage with the need, there's a real need in our society and in our culture for students who have fallen behind in their school during COVID. Some statements, even two years loss of education because of the pandemic. When we engage with that, Jesus says, beware. When we engage with the need that, that singles have in our community and in our world for, for community, for, to belong, to have a chosen family, when we engage, we have to be careful because there is a danger in doing good. Jesus goes on to say this in, verse, or in the rest of verse 2, Thus when you give, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may be praised by others, Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. There's a couple different explanations for what he's talking about. Trumpets, I don't think it's super important for us to go into that. If you want to nerd out with me later, let's do it. Otherwise, we're just going to say what he's saying is, listen, trumpeting yourself when you're doing something good is calling notice to. Don't call notice when you're doing something good. Now listen, there's an obvious tension. Does anybody have any reference point when Jesus says, hey, don't do your good deeds so other people see it. Is there another verse earlier on in the Sermon on the Mount that makes you go like, wait, but I thought we were supposed to let our light shine. Isn't that an interesting tension that Jesus is like, let your light shine. Don't do it in front of people. Um, I have some questions, Jesus. So is this more of like a glowing than a shining that you're saying? Is there like some quasi-different thing we're supposed to be learning here? Like, help me understand how to walk the line of distributing the goodness of God for people to tangibly see and the hiddenness of my faithfulness. I think John Stott gives us a really beautiful expression uh, trying to put together the two statements that Jesus is actually uh, speaking when he says Jesus speaks against two different sins. It is our human cowardice which made Jesus say, let your light shine before men. And it is our human vanity which made him tell us, beware of practicing your piety before men. You see, there's a temptation to try and gain when we give which actually robs the goodness of the deed in itself. And so there's a self-awareness that we have to do. We have to filter not merely what do we do with the, the things we give, but filter even our heart motives behind us. We have to recognize that Jesus is not merely trying to get a people to give a bunch. That's not what he's after. God is after a people who in and of their very essence have been so set free from the addiction of stuff and ownership and accruing more, that we don't view the things that God has given us as fundamentally in service of us, but rather something for us to be wise and steward and to direct for the best eternal uh, outcome. So, when you see a need and you have the thing in your pocket, that can answer the need. There's a moment of tension where we all must realize that this is a moment not merely of going like, am I going to give the thing or not? It's how do I walk this moment out in a way that reflects my love for Jesus, my obligations to love other, and my obligations to live wisely here. 
Because Jesus is not calling us to simply answer every need around us. Jesus himself walked by needs every day. He didn't miraculously heal everybody that walked in front of his circumstances. He took time to recognize, oh, I have a limited amount of hours in the day, moments to engage, words to speak. I have to be careful with what I do, with what's been entrusted to me. And we're called to know less as disciples of Jesus. When we engage, he invites this element of freedom. As we discussed last week, where he's not like give every time you see, it's meet me in that moment. Knowing that my delight in you does not change based on what you do. My my love for you is not increased. This is merely a space for you to walk with me, engaging with what is. So how can we turn our generosity into darkness. I think we need to recognize that sometimes we'll walk into circumstances and we'll be looking to give to justify self or to pad the the appearance of ourselves to others. This is a twisted element of spiritual codependency where some people will be looking to you and I to judge whether they are significant enough or not. They're the ones who give you joke after joke and they're not very funny, but you're like, you, you know that they're not going to stop trying to make you laugh until you laugh, right? And you feel all, obli- you're like, ha, 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 we done now? Imagine doing that with our stuff or we're trying to like give away while we watch other people like, am I enough? Is that good enough? Is that good enough? Have I met up to your expectations? See, this is, this is a selfish way of giving that the kingdom of Jesus, it, doesn't, it, it just is unfitting because our eyes are intended to be traced by our loving Savior. Where we're not, I'm not giving you the job of making me feel significant. I'm not holding my breath, seeing if I've measured up. But I think a lot of times we can struggle with that. We can use others in our esteem game. Some people can use giving to others as a way of showing superiority. Where you walk into spaces of need and the attitude is, aren't you lucky that you have someone like me? And most of us are uncomfortable because this is not the way of Jesus, right? But I've seen it. I've seen people going into spaces of deep need and they carry this essence of somehow me giving to this person is elevating self. We can use giving to others as even padding our own desire to feel like we are truly good. So Jesus says, be careful. Be careful. Even followers of Jesus have a tendency and a vulnerability to Satan saying, ooh, this is a chance for you to get some back for yourself. Sound no trumpet. Sound no trumpet. I love this element. A.B. Bruce says in the tension between let your light shine and don't do your stuff for other people to see. A.B. Bruce says this. Two things. Show 
we are to show when we are tempted to hide. And we, when we are tempted, sorry, hide when we are tempted to show. Does that make sense? To guide us. Whether to make it public or hide it. There's a really interesting word in Greek for grumbling. Uh, I'm not even going to try and pronounce it. I pretend I can't pronounce the word for grumbling in Greek. But it shows up in 1 Peter where Jesus, or sorry, where Peter is talking about doing good things for others. 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, keep on loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins. And then verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. This word grumbling, it's not merely a negative word. It's basically The word can be used either in positive or negative sense based upon the context. So sometimes I grumble when, uh, when, yeah, when I have to show hospitality uh, to travelers or whatever it may be. I don't want to say some guests, house guests are better than others. Um, Some are more trying than others. Um, But the element of hospitality is we have to be careful. I have to be careful. Confession time. I have to be careful about my murmurings, which is what grumbling means. But equally so, that word grumbling can also be like a satisfying thing where you speak or utter made low in tone behind-the-scenes talk where you even share with others. Oh, yeah, this, uh, this, guy, this homeless guy was on the side of the road the other day, and I was just like, you know, I was on my way to go grab lunch, and then I was like, oh, what the heck? Oh, for, for as little as one latte, I could give this guy five bucks and really change his life. You know, and then so I, just, I was like, okay, here you go. And you kind of use that opportunity to share what you did because somehow it feels good. I guess I'm alone. You all look at me with blank eyes. Like, it never feels good to share what we do. I get it. I'll repent afterwards. What I want us to understand is love covers. Love covers a multitude of sins, but it also just plain covers. Let me explain how. Love covers our good deeds to protect the dignity of those we serve. You see, it may enhance us to share that we helped somebody else, but it actually will humiliate them in the mind of the person we told. Love covers their dignity. That's why we are secretive in what we do. Love covers the cost of my sacrifice for others so that there's not a guilt that they carry. Love covers the hunger of going without so that someone else can eat. Love covers the massive check that we may be able to give someday to provide for the needs of others. Jesus goes on to say, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Not only does love cover for the sake of others, love covers for our own good as well. Love covers the goodness of my actions from the temptation of my self-congratulatory 
Love covers my generosity from my own self-celebration. Love covers the temptation to savor my faithful suffering when I give. You see, His love covers. It's not merely love in and of itself. It is the love of Christ that covers when we sacrificially give. Something about what He brings to the table when instead of seeking the applause or the approval, either externally or internally, instead we seek to to please the heart of God our Father. There is the essence of love that meets us in that moment. And that's what Jesus is talking about in verse 4. So that, let, do not let your right hand know what your left, sorry, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. There's a component of God's presence in those moments that actually brings something that is more beautiful and substantive and lasting and life-giving than even the satisfaction of knowing I've done something nice. Or the applause of others going like, oh my gosh, he's so nice. There's something more beautiful and eternal that we're invited to experience. And that is the watchful, beautiful eyes of our Father in heaven Bruce uh, Bruner, uh, uh, one of the scholars of Matthew, says this, and it's a longer quote, but I want to read it to you. It is important that believers, that we know that our Heavenly Father notices what we do. And notices not merely in a deistic way that is distant, like a distant grandfather, but in a personal way as a loving father. We have a Beautifully responsive God who watches us and beckons us to the secret place where only God sees. Disciples should know that their sacrifices are worth it, that their, bu- that their bucking public opinion and, visibly, and visibility gets a response somewhere. Human beings are made in the image of God to be noticed and to want to be noticed by God. Jesus, unlike Buddha, who teaches to get rid of passion, does not give techniques to eliminate this tana, which is that word for passion. This passion to be noticed, he redirects our passion to be noticed. For someone... For any of you who have studied early childhood development, you know how significant it is for a human being to look at another human being, a child in their development, in the eyes and say, I see you. You're special. You have something worth an amazing life. It's huge. And so for us, it's not this this. Uh, idea where we're supposed to just all be altruistic. Oh, I'm doing it for no good deed. It doesn't matter. Like, oh, pretend. No, that's a superhuman thing to do. God says, no, I know you're human, and I know there's a longing to be seen and known and celebrated. And guess what? You are intended not to stifle that, but to direct that. Most of our passions as people is not intended to be stifled. It's intended to be directed in the way that God created it to be. 
And the desire to be seen and recognized is one such area. Jesus says, be careful. Because if you do these things in the way to be seen by others, it will not be seen by God. To clarify even more so, last week, what reward is, it's this idea that you can be seen by your maker and that he is impressed when we choose to honor him. He delights. And this reward is a living, reciprocal, and mutual relationship of father and child. The reward is closeness. The reward is his love and deeper experience. So you're not earning his love. It just opens you up more to experience the depths of his love for you. The depths of his love. So his love covers. His love covers my desire to be praised by others and congratulated by self. Instead of choosing those areas to, to feed on the applause or the personal congratulations, to go, no, 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 that's, that's not where I will find life. Instead, to turn my heart and my hunger towards God and to feed on his delight as I sit in the secret place offering up these sacrifices. His love not only covers, his love sets us free. His love frees us. Frederick Bruner again says, Jesus wants to liberate us from having to be impressive to anyone, including ourselves. What kind of pressure is that? That we live in a society where everybody can become famous. And there's such a broad range of, like, it's like America's got talent all day long, people showing off, right? And I'm like, no, I can't do that challenge. I, I, no, I cannot keep my arm, my, my elbows together when I, when I do this, whatever it is, this month or whatever. Nobody knows what I'm talking about. I don't know. <laughs> whatever it is, some, there's always a stupid challenge. But Jesus wants to free us from our need to be impressive to anyone. You don't need to impress me. Please don't try. You don't need to impress each other. Please don't try. God already sees you as a father. And he delights in you. So, as we come to a close here, Jesus himself makes a pretty clear statement that if we don't do our deeds in public, but instead we do our deeds in secret, that the Father who sees in secret will reward you. That's a pretty powerful statement. What if we lived like that? What if I stopped being satisfied with the applause of others? It's like, you know what? I'm going to tune out everybody else and just listen to what God says about me. C.S. Lewis 
has one of these beautiful quotes. Indeed, he says, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Oh, that we would see and believe that Jesus invites us to the delight of his Father. I think it would change our, our lives. So what does it look like to live, live these teachings? To live this word this week, to taste the joy of life eternal. I want to encourage us to view the opportunity to do good as a portal to experience the richness and fullness of God's love for you. That we have an opportunity to invite him to an intimate moment where you celebrate your love for him, where you set the table and say, God, this is for you, not for them. And you try your best to try and avoid celebrating self. You try and avoid other, others kind of catching notice. And instead, you just savor that secret love that you and your God have shared. And some of you have done things that nobody has ever known about. And it's like this beautiful, sacred, secret, passionate love that you have with God. And if we're to understand the theology of rewards, that will be something you will have for eternity. These sacred, secret moments of honoring Christ. But even now, they're a portal to experiencing your eternal joy today. Because God's love invades our moment when we tune our hearts towards Him. All right, so we are coming to the end of my teaching. I do want to brainstorm with you. I think we have time about what it looks like for us to identify places of charity today. You up for that? Can we brainstorm a little bit? Because some of you may lack not the ability, but the imagination to go, oh, that's easy enough. You mean me writing a, like an encouragement note to somebody? That, that, that can be a space where I... Build like this secret love with God? That's easy. I could do one a day, 365 a year. How many more years will I live? Right? So let's try that. You guys okay? You're all quiet. Feeling pretty lonely up here. Okay. So we have some good examples and bad examples. Uh, poor in our society. So when Rachel and I got married, we were very poor. We didn't have a lawnmower. We bought a brand new house in, uh, 
in Albany. And uh, we ended up, uh, so we didn't have a lawnmower. And I tried my best to kill my lawn because I didn't have any way of mowing the lawn. Um, however, my neighbor was so kind to me in my poor state that he would sneak and water my lawn to my <laughs> anger. That's not what we're talking about here, all right? Uh, th there's another situation where I tried and failed. I, uh, I noticed that one of my, my, the people I, I know and love, they had a broken fence and I had replaced the fence and so I had these leftover dog-eared uh, boards that were there. They were still in good shape but they were, uh, they were old and so they matched the old one and so I snuck over there at night and, and I unscrewed their broken board and then I slapped mine in there and I was feeling so good about it. This is not bragging by the way, it did not go right. Okay? What I didn't realize is that a regular, their fence was not the right height as a regular fence, and so I brought a six-foot board, and their fence was a five-foot fence, and so my good deed actually made it look worse because there was like a foot above the rest of the boards, and I was thinking about putting it back, but then I was like, no, they got small dogs, there'll be a hole there. Anyway, so we can try these things to surprise others with good deeds, but, but and it's really the heart behind it, right? It's not so much the deed, it's that God wants us to live a life of freedom where we're not driven and obligated to do things and follow rules. It's like, no, you have the ability to create your own adventure. Y'all know those books? What happened to those books? That was one of the only ways that my teachers in middle school got me to read was that there was a create your own adventure and I would try and do the most catastrophic, catastrophic, thank you, ending possible. Uh, anyways, that's what our lives are. Create your own adventure. How do you insert your imagination with your resources in the place of need? All right? So, uh, how we do? We, we okay, guys? You good? Anybody tapping out? You need to go to the bathroom? It's fine. Just go now. All right, so the poor. Where, what, are the, what are the things that we see when we think about the poor in our world, okay? So even if you need to, part of being a disciple of Jesus is not merely going like, okay, Pastor David said I'm supposed to look for, look for this situation, this person, and then I'm supposed to do this thing. No, discipleship to Jesus is doing the things Jesus did in the world that you live, okay? And so I want us to even close our eyes and become norm, normalized the idea of going, Holy Spirit, who in my life is poor? And so I invite you, like, close your eyes. Who in my life is poor? Barely making it. We're not going to put out, don't, don't say names. But situations. Does anybody have a situation that comes to mind? Oh, I love it. Grocery drop. I, I would love to see you sneak and get away from that house so that you didn't get seen. And the, the uh, ring door doorbell makes another challenge. So, oh, snap. Okay. Yep. All right. That holds true. <laughs> or you'll have to invest in a ski mask. So if you see a ski mask coming up to your house, it's annoying. It's fine. It's fine. All right. Yeah, I love that. Grocery drop. What else? Give me some more. Pay a bill. 
Ooh, you can come over anytime. <laughs> Money drawer. I don't know how to spell drawer. Draw, drawer? I'm a good drawer. All right. Shut it. Uh, okay, so we have, let's keep going. Needy. So this would be more of a space where they're making it, but it's like not, gonna, it's not a long-term plan. So food. Yep, love it. How would you get it to him, Chris? Fast food joint. Love it. All right, so fast food gift. Love it. All right. What? Ooh, yeah, gas card. Invite them over. Can you ask first, please? It's my son. <laughs> uh, invite over. How would you do it secretly? You're like, here's my parents' address. Uh, they usually eat about five. If you knock on the door and like do like the real sad face, they'll invite you right in. Is that all right? I oh, okay. Invite over. What other secret ways can we? Demonstrate kindness to needy, poor, beggars, or neighbors. So like, I love that. Like clothing drives. It kind of removes a little bit of the face-to-face um, -face thing, right? All right, what else? Needy, uh, beggar. Oh, there we go. I think that's a huge pocket for us, especially in a place where we do have social systems. We, we, we do have a, a relative way of, of going about things, but the, thinking about the emotionally needy, the, the energy that goes into people's jobs and finding ways to do things without being asked. That's so powerful. Um, can you, uh, let's, let's step into that for a minute. What other areas do we see even our coworkers or our, our family members in need that we could do things that, that don't gain us credit? We all know the trick of loading the dishwasher and then waiting for your wife to step, walk downstairs and like, Push the start button. Oh, hey, just, don't, don't mind me. Just doing the dishes. It's not it. Nobody else does that. I get it. What's that? Hmm. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. 
Anybody else? Yeah, Josh. Uh, one way is huge is our, is, um, obviously, well, we've got a bunch of kids, and so Melissa obviously tends to get burnt out, and we used to have a neighbor who would just up and take the kids over to her house and give Melissa a break, and so the kids thought it was great. They thought they were going over to have fun. Or actually, half the time they go and just invite themselves over and just let themselves in her house, but it was always a, helping the burnt out mom was always a huge blessing for us. So just like along those lines with kids, just giving formula and uh, diapers. And I'll be honest, even if you have even if you have diapers, for someone to like just chuck a box in, like is helpful, right? Yeah. So supplies. Just working in a school, just seeing the needs, especially in, I mean, I work in a school where um, you just see the needs go up and up and up. We have a church that actually does quite a bit for our school, and it's really interesting to watch um, staff members that are not Christians kind of try to figure out why that's happening, and they've been very generous in a lot of different ways. They have these shoe drives, whole bunch of shoes will come, coat drives. But then even things like, um, kind of to what you were saying earlier, Laura, you know, just at a certain time of year when things are very stressful, they'll, they'll do like summer sandwiches for the teachers and stuff. I mean, just, there's a lot of ways that you can, um, I, I, I could go on and on about the needs of schools, but, um, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of needs, not just Here's the beautiful thing, guys, is that, um, like I said, the love of Christ um, encourages us, invites us to cover our desire. His love's intended to fill us to the point where we're not starving for affirmation from others. That, That the people of Jesus, the new community, would be people who feast on God's uh, acceptance, his um, joy over us, his love, so that we're not going out into the world scraping and scrounging to be made to feel like enough. And only when we do that and live in that way will we be able to resist the urge because we're satisfied in God and instead be set free by that loving wholeness and satisfaction that we have to be able to live out and respond in joy when these opportunities come. So it's an exciting thing, I believe, that God's work towards us is to invite our creativity Invite our self-awareness. Invite your ability to sneak 
so that you can create these beautiful moments with Jesus. So three things I want you to kind of take away this week if we are to cultivate this depth of relationship with God during the week. I want to give you a challenge. Some of you, you need to take a $20 bill, throw it in your wallet, and say, God, I'm going to be watching. You show me where I'm supposed to spend it this week. Some of you need to take some time and go, okay, I know there's that person. God, show me how I can come alongside and help me to do it in a way that they don't know who it is. And you and me to get to laugh and enjoy the surprise. Um, some of you need to do this with your families. Invite the kids to be a part of this. Um, some of you need to take some time and brainstorm with your contending community. This is where the life of following Jesus becomes a joyful richness in these moments. So I want to encourage you three things. Be spontaneous. Be spontaneous. Keep your eyes up. Second, keep it secret. And third, enjoy the spiritual life with the Father as you're doing these things this week. So, that's the challenge. I hope to see that God will overfill your hearts with joy as you create these little pockets of love with him. Let's worship Jesus as we turn our time towards him. that sound good? Will you bow your heads with me? God, we thank you that you have been so active to show us your love. And you have been um, so willing to give us caution in these little areas, Lord, that um, if we're absent-minded, God, we will be tempted to use even these good works for ourselves. And Lord, we're asking tonight, that even now, through your Holy Spirit, you would chase down those places in our souls that are empty, that are like vacuums, longing for affirmation, applause. And Lord, I pray that we would turn towards you in the place of our secret heart right now. Spirit, I pray that you would help us to know that you're watching. Not watching to judge, but watching to love and celebrate our faithfulness. Thank you, Lord God. I pray that we'd be filled with joy, your determination to celebrate with us. God, we take this moment to remember your son who gave his life as we observe the bread broken and the cup symbolizing your bloodshed. We love you. Please, will you unleash your presence? in this place as we worship. In Jesus' name.